Thank you for listening today. We hope that this message from God's Word will help you to grow in your knowledge of God and your relationship with Him. At Lucy Baptist Church, we are fully committed to loving God, loving people, and making disciples. Now here's today's message. We recently watched and prayed as the 12 boys and their coach uh, uh, on the wild boar soccer team who were, uh, were trapped inside that flooded cave in Thailand we, as they were found first and, uh, and then, uh, then sometime later, one by one, were rescued from that cave, the coach being the last one to, to leave that cave. Can, can you imagine, I thought about it a moment, what it must have been like for those for that so, soccer coach and those boys when that first diver popped his head up out of the water. You, can you imagine what that must have been like? I know that coach had tried to encourage him, no doubt, to give them encouragement and hope, and, and, and uh, yet imagine what hope that brought to their heart to realize they were going to be rescued because if that diver could make it in, they could make it out. And what hope and what what relief that brought to their heart and life. They swam out. They first had to teach them how to use scuba gear. And then they, uh, two of them accompanied those young boys, one on either side of them, the young boy in the, the middle, and uh, the first diver holding his tank as they went through the, the cave and went through some tight places. Uh, uh, but those divers had been there, and again, they, they knew the way out until they reached safety. These divers uh, not only knew the way out, they were the way out. Amen? And what a beautiful picture that is of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I want to remind you in the book of Hebrews that uh, this book was written to a suffering church that was facing uh, increased persecution. Most of them, by language of the book, we realize were former, uh, had been former practicing Jews and had come to the, hear the gospel and, and had responded to the gospel. And, and now uh, they were, however, through the persecution they were enduring and no doubt the messages they were hearing from family members who were still uh, among uh, the Jews and still in, under the law, they uh, were being tempted at least to return to their comfortable way of life in in Judaism. And so again, the the writer of Hebrews is is calling them now to consider Jesus of his infinite greatness. He is saying to them, you can't turn back. You can't go back. And so in this passage, he is showing us how, again, that Jesus is fully God, fully God, but became fully God human so that he might purchase our salvation, purchase our redemption, become, as our passage says here, the the captain, the founder of our salvation. He entered uh, uh, glory only after suffering. And again, he's calling us to realize we must be prepared to follow the same path. And again, what, what hope it must have brought to this struggling church as they realize anew and afresh what their Savior, the Lord Jesus, had done on their behalf. And what joy and what comfort it brings to us today. What comfort that ought to bring to us 
at Lucy Baptist Church today to know that the Lord Jesus is the, is the founder of our salvation and, and that we might keep our eyes on him. And so again, this passage, as we're going to look at it today, I believe is leading us to, to consider Jesus. And the response from us will be, hallelujah, what a savior. So if you will, notice with me uh, two primary points and some others as well in regard to this truth. First of all, notice that through his incarnation, and that is God becoming man, through his incarnation, Jesus became our suffering Savior. Notice that in verse 10. Again, these who were being tempted to forsake Christ and return to the law must have been questioning, uh, again, this idea of a suffering Savior. Because again, most of the Jews, even the Old Testament Jews, didn't understand. Even though Isaiah 53 is so clear to us now, and Psalm 22 that we read today is so clear to us about a suffering Savior. But, but the, that therefore, the, the cross to the Jew, as Paul would say, the preaching of a crucified Messiah was a stumbling block to the Jews. Paul knew that because it had been for him. But now again, we see here in verse 10, the, the writer in verse 10 is showing them how the suffering of Christ on the cross was not only a way that God, but the way and the most appropriate and most fitting way for God to provide salvation. The most God-worthy way, as Kent Hughes calls it, to provide for God to provide salvation for his people. So notice with me as we think about this, again, why this suffering Savior, why the cross was a most God-fitting way, a most fitting way. First of all, his suffering was fitting because it is consistent with God's sovereign purpose. Fitting with God's sovereign purpose. Uh, first part of verse 10, again, he, he says, for it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist. Now he's talking here about God the Father. These same kinds of words are used concerning the Lord Jesus. So there, uh, that certainly shows that, that Jesus is God in that sense, but also he's, he's speaking of God the Father, the one through whom and, and again, uh, for whom and by whom all things exist. He is creator God. He is the author and the goal of all creation. Again, as we think about creation, to see the character and power of God, one way the Bible tells us we can do that is simply look at God's creation. Because the creation shouts to us of the power of God. And the more we learn, thankful to our scientists today who can tell us about the, the trillions of stars and the galaxies and the greatness of those things and even the minutest detail of all things that we can't even see with our naked eye, we realize the vastness, the greatness of this creation and, 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 we, and all of it magnifies the great power of God in our Universe, And just to think that he spoke it all into existence. He stretched it out uh, for six days. He could have just done it all at one time, but he spoke it all into existence. And that glorifies the great God. And it's consistent then with his nature. But, but his, his greatest display of his power is, is, through his, is what is spoken in his final word, 
who Hebrews 1 says, who is the Lord Jesus himself. Jesus is the final word. And Jesus and the work of Jesus on the cross is the greatest display of God's power. It far surpasses even the greatness of his, of his creation. And Jesus is not merely his spoken word. He is his incarnate word. He is God, man. He is the word, the God, God who became flesh and dwelt among us. And again, he on the cross, this sinless substitute uh, displayed his power uh, again as he came to defeat sin and, and death and eternal hell. And again, this too was consistent with his sovereign purpose and character. So it was fitting and it is so fitting even to the character and eternal purpose of God. Acts 2 23 the writer Luke gives a a word of that as he says this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and for knowledge of God you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. The cross fulfills the sovereign plan and purpose of God and is completely consistent with God's power and nature. Second, notice that his suffering was fitting because it results in many sons being brought to glory. Don't you like that word? Many, many. Aren't you glad this morning that if you're a child of God, you're among that many The word many, it emphasizes the great number of the redeemed that Jesus died to save. It is those who by the hearing of the gospel and the work of God's spirit that they are brought to glory. And you think about it in your testimony. And and, and again, if you're without Christ, let me, as I give you just a word of what happens there, my prayer is that in this, you will hear the gospel and you will recognize your need for Christ. But but again, what God does in this work is uh, this, this great number are those who have heard the gospel, they have recognized that they are sinners, or maybe I can just say we have recognized that we are sinners, in, in, that we are hell-deserving sinners, that we are separated from God, we are accountable to God and will stand before God one day, but by the work of God's Spirit, we recognize that we are separated from God, we're headed for eternal hell, which we deserve as we sang about this morning, but then we come to that glorious realization that Jesus has gone to the cross, that he has become sin for us on our behalf, that he has therefore taken our hell debt, that he has received all of the holy wrath and, uh, and deserved wrath against us uh, that would put us in eternal hell forever, and that he has paid our debt in full as we sang about it this morning. And by the work of God's grace, he brings us, therefore, to repent and to place our faith and trust in Christ and him alone to save us. Do you see why why when we sing such glorious songs this morning, we cannot restrain ourselves? We cannot help but be filled with with praise and with joy and with adoration uh, for what our Savior has done on our behalf. And he brings us to glory. I like that word bring as well. 
You know, the word bring, uh, it, it implies something that, that none of us can do for ourselves. You see, he has to bring us because we can't bring ourselves. He has to intervene in our lives because if he does not do that, we cannot. We are headed for an eternal hell, and unless he intervenes in our, our hell-bound lives, as we sang this morning, then we, then we would continue on that path. But God, in his wonderful grace, interrupts us in our sin, and he brings us to repentance, and he brings us to faith. He brings us to himself, and then, hallelujah, he brings us to glory, where we'll spend all eternity. Uh, we watched uh, a, a little show the other night with, uh, with our uh, son and daughter-in-law, Joel and, and Natalie, and, and uh, it's called Anne with a Knee. It's a cute little, little, little series, and, and little Anne... Uh, was on her way to Green Gables and she pinched herself until she had a big bruise on her arm because she wanted to be sure she really knew she was there. And you know, I don't think we'll pinch our glorified bodies in heaven, amen? But I have a feeling we're gonna be there. We're gonna, we're gonna be just as, I can't believe, for eternity. We're gonna say, what am I doing here? I don't deserve to be here. I'm only here because of the precious blood of Jesus. I'm only here because of his righteousness that was deposited into my bankrupt account. Hallelujah, what a Savior will sing for all eternity because Jesus brings us to glory. Where does he bring us? He brings us to glory. Where, where is glory? It's where Jesus is. In John 14, 3, he said, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. He brings many to glory. And John described a scene in heaven that, that gives us an indication of the vast multitude who will have been brought to glory. As he says in Revelation 7, 9, after this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches in their hands. Listen, folks, what a joy it is. Isn't it a joy to get in on what God is doing? That's what the Great Commission is all about. That's what going out to, to, to Pleasant Ridge in 100-degree weather is all about, is sharing the gospel and, and, and to know that one day some of those who hear the gospel there and, and where we have the joy of serving in other places and where we have the joy of helping support others who are going to, to Indonesia and to Nicaragua and, and, and to Nigeria and, and, and to, to Thailand and all over the world. Mexico, that one day we're going to see some of those people around that throne who are going to be worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. They will be among those, those many who've been brought to glory. Friend, if, if we're not in on that, we're missing out on the great joy that God has given to us of being able to proclaim the gospel so that because they must hear the gospel in order to repent of their sin and place their faith in truth, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the question I want to ask you this morning is, will you be, will you be around the throne? Will, are you going to be, or right now, are you being brought as a son or a daughter to glory? Are you one of his children? Are you in this number that Revelation 7, 9 is describing? 
And all I would say to you this morning, if you are not, my heart and our hearts today, and our, our cry for you, our plead for you, is that you would come to that realization of your need for Christ so that one day you can be among these many sons who'll be brought to glory. Thirdly, his suffering was fitting because as a result, he is the perfect pioneer of our salvation. He is the perfect pioneer of our salvation. Notice he goes on in in these verses as he describes the Lord Jesus bringing many sons to the glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. He he says he is the founder, the captain, as the New King James uses the word. He, He authored our salvation when he, as God, became man. And he tells us that through suffering and death, he became, the again, the author, the founder of our salvation. This word is also translated pioneer or champion. And it literally means trailblazer. It refers to someone who starts something for others to follow. It has also been used to describe someone who has come to rescue. The Lord Jesus has cleared the path to God and to glory through his death. Sin, death, and hell held us captive and stood in our way, but Jesus took them on at the cross and defeated them all. Therefore, he is the champion of our salvation. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Notice it says he was made perfect through suffering. Don't be confused by those words. Jesus, of course, is perfect. He was, he's, he's fully God. He's fully human. He's sinless. He's perfect morally, spiritually, and, and in every way. This word, however, means complete. He completed the work of salvation. Hebrews 5, 8 and 9 give the same sense when it says, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. From the cross, Jesus cried out to Telestai, it is finished, paid in full. Jesus paid our debt in full. Hallelujah. If you're, if you're studying and reading through the Bible in two years, as many of us are, you read just recently from Luke chapter 10, that familiar story. I, I saw some things I hadn't thought about before, but that story of the Good Samaritan. Uh, and again, the, uh, he uses that same word that is translated uh, to br- brought here. And again, the idea, once again, is this Samaritan did for this Jewish man w- what he couldn't do for himself. You see, he was beaten. He was half dead. He was as good as dead. And he could not bring himself. He had to be brought to that end for his need to be met. And and again, what a, a beautiful picture of what Jesus has done for us. He has brought us to himself. And and the other good word as his children is he's going to finish what he started. Amen. He will continue what he started in us. And if you're a child of God this morning, that ought to bring great encouragement to your heart. If you are his, he has begun a work in you that he will complete, that he will continue the work he's begun until he takes you to glory. That's what Philippians 1, 6 says. He began a good work and you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus 
Christ. Since salvation is God's work secured for his people by the death and resurrection of his son, he will succeed. He will succeed in spite of the onslaughts of the world, the flesh, the devil that come against us. And in spite of whatever may come our way along the way, Jesus will bring us to glory. Amen? That ought to encourage our hearts this morning. But then I want you to see second in verses 11 through 13, that through his incarnation, Jesus became our identifying Savior. Our identifying Savior. And I'll explain that word identifying in just a moment. But you see, Jesus again, fully, he's fully God and he is fully human. And again, that's why the, that's what basically what the incarnation means. And, and in becoming one of us, he identified fully with us. He wasn't just God that, that looked like a man. He was fully God and fully man. And, and that has so much of a, of a word to us is what some people have called him what, uh, his solidarity with us in his identifying with us as his children. Notice he says that in this verse, that verse 11, that, that Jesus uh, that, and believers all have one source. It is, this word means literally all out of one. And most believe this means that, that or, or many rather believe that, that, that this means that Jesus and believers have God as our Father. That is certainly true. Uh, but another possibility is that it speaks again of Jesus identifying with us fully in our humanity. So look with me, if you will, at two primary results of Jesus' ident identification with or identity with his, in, in his incarnation with us. Notice, first of all, because Jesus is holy God, he makes us holy. Because he's holy God, he makes us holy. Notice it says here in verse 11 that he is the sanctifier uh, and we are the sanctified. Now, our uh, uh, Pentecostal friends, some of them believe that sanctification is a subsequent experience that follows salvation. Uh, but to sanctify is a word that means to set apart. It means to, to make holy and righteous. So what Jesus does in saving us, not only does he take us to glory, but he makes the, the unholy, which is us, holy. He makes the unjust, the unrighteous, righteous. Because we have no righteousness. We have no holiness in and of ourselves. Only a holy God can do that. And again, this is really a further reason, if you will, that, that, that Jesus' suffering and death is so fitting. Again, because it was the only way that God could make us holy is for God, who is holy, to become man and, and, and to be perfect and sinless man. And that's exactly what Jesus did. did. And, and only those who are holy and righteous can enter into God's presence. You see, the reason those young men down there in that, in that cave, in that water, were in such trouble was because they weren't equipped to go through the water. In fact, one of the men in the process of trying to rescue them, one man drowned in the process. Why? Because he ran out of air. He ran out of air. You see, we are not equipped to live without air. We're not equipped to live in the water like fish are. That's not the way God made us. And, and if you'll picture that and use that as an analogy, we are unfit. We, without Christ, we can't enter into God's presence. 
We can't enter into glory. We can't be brought to glory because we don't have what it takes. Only We can only b- breathe God's celestial air if we have Jesus. If Jesus is our Lord, as, as we sang this morning, if Jesus is our life, only then. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He came, that he, he who is the sanctifier, the Holy One, came to make us holy. And only then are we fit with a rela- for a relationship with him. And only then can we be brought to the glory of heaven. The writer of Hebrews affirms this in Hebrews 10, 10, when he says, and by that, by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So Jesus makes us holy because as a perfect, because again, he is perfect, sinless human. He became sin for us. He became what we are. He took on our sin so that we could be made the righteousness of God in him. That's why he can demand of us, be holy as I am holy. And we say, Lord, I I don't have any holiness. You're exactly right. Your only holiness is Jesus' holiness. Your only righteousness is Jesus' righteousness. So he provides everything that we need to be in his presence and to be what what he desires us to be. But second, notice, because Jesus is fully human, he is not ashamed to call us his family. Because he's fully, again, because he is fully human, he's not ashamed to call us his family. Again, notice in this this verse, again, he, he says this to us. He says, that is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Think about that. Not ashamed to call us Brothers, what an awesome truth. Jesus is not ashamed, child of God. If you're his this morning, he is not ashamed to say about you, put your name there, I am his Lord. I am her God. He is not ashamed to say that about us. And what a wonderful thing that, that most of us think God's ashamed of us. But in Christ, that is not true because he sees us in himself. He sees us clothed in his righteousness. And so acknowledge and accept and claim what God says about you. Ligon Duncan says that, that when Satan points his accusing finger at us, Jesus says, that is my sister you're pointing at. That is, that is my brother you're accusing, accusing. They are clothed in my righteousness. Again, and we would not do injustice to say, Jesus says of us, I am proud of him. I am proud of her. And, and because again, we are his, his family. Because we're a joint heir with him, Romans 8, 17 says. Matthew 12, 50 said, Jesus in his ministry said, for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Again, Hebrews quotes the Old Testament more than any other New Testament book. And in this passage, just as one verse, he quotes uh, three passages of scripture, two verses, to show the results of his identifying with us in our humanity. Notice, first of all, under this point, our identity with him leads to communion. Our identity with him leads to communion. Verse 12, um, again, he, he quotes here from Psalm 22. And Hunter read that passage for us this morning. But, but here's the word. He says, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. Now, in this messianic psalm, uh, he is describing, describing Jesus suffering on the cross. And here Jesus is expressing his joy and praise that God the Father has heard him. 
First of all, his, once again, his death has made that relationship possible for us. But also it demonstrates, again, that Jesus is present with us as his church. What a great and encouraging word that must have been to that early church and what it must bring to our hearts uh, as well. He, he, uh, I want to remind you that Jesus is present with his church. Think about the number of times he said that. Think about on the road to, to uh, Damascus when Jesus interrupted Saul on his way to persecute the church. He said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Jesus fully identified with his church so much, his body, that he said, why do you persecute me? And the Lord Jesus has promised us that in Matthew 18, that when we are obeying him in this process of disciplining members, Jesus has promised that he is in our midst. And Jesus has told us as we go to make disciples of all nations, all people groups, he said, and lo, behold, I am with you always. Jesus says, I am going with you to the end of the earth. The Lord Jesus is with us in his church. And notice what he's saying to us in this verse. Jesus is saying, I'm with you right now. I'm with you in worship. Jesus worshiped with us this morning. When we were singing this morning about Jesus, singing praise to him, he was right here with us. He was right here singing with us. The Lord Jesus sings. Now, we don't see, have any record of any songs that he sang in the New Testament, but Jesus sings with his his redeemed church today as we worship the Lord God. He is in our midst. What a great encouragement that must have been to this persecuted, struggling church. Calvin said this should give encouragement to us to bring yet more fervent zeal to the praise of God. When we hear that Christ leads our praise and is the chief conductor of our hymns. Amen. Wow. It all made a difference in our worship. Secondly, our our identity with him leads to trust. Again, in the first part there of of, uh, verse 13, he says, And again, I will put my trust in him. These words come from Isaiah 8, 17. You see, Jesus is saying, these are words applied now to Jesus. Isaiah wrote them, yes, but now they're they're Jesus' words. And Jesus, he's saying, depended on the Holy Spirit. His trust in God in the midst of his life, in the midst of his suffering all throughout his life, again, was was an indication that even though he was fully God, he was also fully human. And as fully human, he depended on the resources of God. He depended on the Spirit of God. He depended on the filling of God. He depended on the Word of God. Again, he looked to God fully. And what a word that is to us as well is Jesus, fully God, in perfect union with his Father, had to depend on the Holy Spirit and on the trust to enable him. Oh, how much more we must do the same. But the Lord Jesus demonstrates that for us. Wade Trimmer said, Jesus is revealing that even though he was God, yet he lived as man filled with the spirit of God. He had to live by faith in precisely the same way they did. And you and I do. But thirdly, our identity with him leads to assurance. The second part of verse 13, again, he quotes now Isaiah 8, 18. He says, and again, behold, I and the children God has given me. 
Now this is a quote from Isaiah 8.18 and originally spoken by Isaiah of his sons, but now they are Jesus' words and speak of Jesus' sons and daughters. Who are they? That's us. He's speaking about us. Jesus, again, could say, behold, I and the children of God here at Lucy Baptist Church that God has given to me. Again, uh, Bob Deffenbaugh said, just as Isaiah could include his sons among those who were with him and trusting him, so God, so our Lord Jesus could include his spiritual children, us, among those who with him trust in God even in the midst of trials and tribulations. So dear friend, as we prepare to close this message this morning, I just again want to think about how it applies to us today. Wherever you are, wherever you're walking through right now, as a child of God, he is in you, he is with you, he is Emmanuel, God with us, and he is with you. And I want to say especially his presence is known to you as you are seeking to obey him. You may be going through a struggle right now in your family. You may be going through a struggle right now in your job. Young people, you will be going through a struggle when you reach school. If you seek to honor God, because the Bible says all who live godly will suffer persecution. And the Lord Jesus is going to be with you. He's going to be right there with you. And corporately, these words were written to a church. He is with us at Lucy Baptist Church. Lucy Baptist Church, he's not ashamed to call us his church. He's not ashamed to call us his bride. He's not ashamed to call us his body. He's not ashamed to call us his family. Amen? He loves us. He cares for us. And he knows the struggles we're going through. And he cares for us. And he's with us in the struggles as a church as we seek to honor him and obey him. He hasn't forsaken us. Amen? He will not. And I want to urge you to think about that and apply that to us as we go through struggles to be and to obey and to do what God would have us to do and to reach that time to to glorify him and one day knowing that one day he will take us to glory. In a far greater way than even those divers in Thailand, Jesus has come to us to rescue us. He became fully human like us. He suffered the death on the cross for us, and now he is with us. And dear brothers and sisters, we can't turn back. We must persevere. This is Pastor David Lawrence. Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that God used his word in your life today. If you do not have a relationship with God, the Bible says you can as you turn from your sin, place your faith in Christ Jesus, his death for you on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, and surrender your life to Jesus as Lord. We'd like to invite you to join us for worship. You can find information about the times and locations for all of our gatherings on our website at lucybaptist.com. If you have any questions or if we can minister to you in any way, please call us at 901-872-0623 or email us at info at lucybaptist.com.